When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, it happens every once in a while. I will get an email from people asking me, and you probably hear this too, people will say, Scott, what's the best scavenger for an aquarium? And what's a good algae eater for your tanks? That kind of stuff. And it kind of gets me going because this whole idea of scavengers and algae eaters, fish purchased solely for the purpose of being a cleanup crew, kind of gets me a little bit. Okay, here he goes. I know Scott's going to rant a little bit. I know I'll get at least some hate mail on this one with someone ticked off because I appear to be judgmentally preaching about something. The disclaimer here is that I'm not merely giving you my thoughts on a subject which I have, you know, I actually, I am merely giving you assertions and not giving you, I'm merely giving you a, a thoughts on a subject which I personally grappled with before in my fish keeping career. One of those things that we as fish keepers seem to contend with is the decision between keeping fishes that we in the aquarium world tend to view as utilitarian, i.e. intended to be kept for a specific purpose like algae eating, or those that we want to keep for pure enjoyment, interest, or breeding work. And one of our favorite little helpers in the freshwater hobby to maintain control of algae in our aquariums is the little Otosynculus catfish from the Amazonian region. There's about, I think it's 16 different species of these easily recognizable fish, several of which find their way into the hobby on a regular basis. Now, telling the individual species apart is challenging at best, so we unfortunately sort of lump them together from a standpoint of needs and care. And as a sort of confession, I know that for many years, my approach to keeping them was just totally wrong. It's just wrong. These are relatively inexpensive fishes and, or fish, excuse me. And that often brings about a very cavalier attitude about keeping them. Ironically, they have that reputation of being a bit touchy, not lasting for long periods of time in the aquarium for a lot of hobbyists, suddenly checking out for no apparent reason. This unfortunately has given them the undeserved title of expendable fishes that you just kind of replace as needed, i.e. when they croak. That's a horrible moniker for any animal in my opinion. When we look into the requirements and their feeding habits, it becomes a bit more apparent why they can go so quickly. First off, from a water environmental standpoint, they're pretty adaptable fishes, but being from the Amazon region, they're typically at home in soft and neutral to slightly acidic water. Although the pH and hardness are not super critical, stability is very important to these fish. Another important factor in their survivability is water quality. This means relatively low levels of nitrate, good oxygenation, and a clean, healthy aquarium. Like, this should be the goal for most aquariums, you know, containing fishes, but once again, I theorize that because we've assigned these fishes the unfortunate role of utility player, they're brought in to solve a problem, i.e. algae, and any specialized needs that they might have are viewed as secondary. Oh, the aquarium, I admit, in my less experienced hobby days, um, 
in my aquariums. I, I'd unleash a few of these guys in a relatively new, rather unstable aquarium to use as a preventative against algae outbreaks. I know I used to watch them busily doing something, convincing myself that they were seemingly, you know, continuously eating algae, even though I couldn't see it with my naked eye, when the reality was they were frantically looking for something, anything to sustain them. I was literally watching my otos starving to death. And if we're honest with ourselves, we realize that typical new aquariums seldom have any significant amounts of algae, right? And if they do, likely it could be handled by one or maybe two of these guys until it's gone. Yet we, and I include myself in this because I have in the past, we will often add a few as part of the package of fishes we consider necessary in our new tanks. Oh, and this brings up yet another problem to the approach that we take. These fishes are quite gregarious in nature, occurring in large groups with a pretty dynamic social structure. So the weird sort of paradox here is that it's important to keep them in groups for their well-being. They fare far better and they're more interesting in groups, yet how can you really do this? The problem is if you don't have enough algae available on a continuous basis, a group will simply eat itself to death as the algae are consumed unless you make an effort to supplement their diet with other foods or more algae. Okay, really? So now I have to target feed my odos? I'm sure you're thinking that. Well, yeah, it makes sense, right? And if you think it's a pain in the ass to do this, you're right. Let's be honest, in an active community tank, have you ever been able to target feed a tiny catfish effectively and regularly, as all these authors suggest? I mean, really? Because I've done this many times, and it's anything but easy, let me tell you. It's pretty much dump and pray that they find their little treats before anybody else does, and that's a dice roll at best. You have to spend a fairly significant amount of time trying to deliver foods to these little guys, trying to beat out the more aggressive feeders, all the while hoping that these fishes will even show an interest in unfamiliar food items like pellets or zucchini or spinach or whatever is often recommended. You know, flitting over them with active mouths is not the same as consuming them. Again, it's easy to convince ourselves of this. It's easy to delude ourselves that they're deriving sustenance from these foods sometimes, much in the way we're convinced that they're finding something in a new aquarium because they're so busy. Again, it's not all impossible, but it requires patience, observation, and a tiny amount of luck, any of which you may or may not have, or may not want to expend that effort on these fish if you're honest with yourself, and that's okay, be honest. If we look to the science, gut content analysis of these fishes in the wild, wild shows pretty much two things, algae and the less defined organic matter, i.e. detritus, probably bound up in an algal, algal matrix, you know, so it's mainly algae. So this is a clue that getting them to eat other foods is not going to be super easy. Not impossible, mind you, but certainly not the easiest thing you'll do. And if you take the unfortunately and widely held position that this is a role-playing fish destined to be an algae-eating janitor, then you really have to be honest with yourself and consider if these fishes are for you at all. My position is that unless you have a large enough aquarium, with a significant amount of algae that grows on a rather continuous basis, you should consider other means of control, including other animals, such as the so-called emmano shrimp, which often consume uneaten food and other things in addition to algae, uh, perhaps more advanced nutrient control and export techniques, or the least popular method, manual removal of the algae. I strongly believe that we have not kept these fishes in a fair manner for many, many years. It's one of those decisions that we have to make for ourselves. The, the, these are amazing consumers of algae. I've seen them literally, a pair, literally strip a 20-gallon tank with a modest algae growth completely in like two days and then struggle to survive until the algae returns. It's hardly a life for an animal that seems to fare wonderfully in the wild. 
So without sounding like a judgmental asshole, I think that we should carefully consider the implications and the responsibility that goes with these, you know, five for $10 fishes that we've unfairly assigned that role of consumable, much like we would a box of carbon or a filter pad. It goes against the grain of what we might typically think about when considering these, you know, fishes. And it brings up some ugly, difficult to face truths about our position on the matter. Yet it does deserve some consideration. You know, choices, responsibility, morals, all these things that we need to utilize when we think about purchasing this fish. Look, I'm not trying to occupy the moral high ground here preaching to you that I'm the guy with the answers. I don't pretend to be that person. I find it a tough call myself, but I've had enough experience with this fish, good and bad over the years, to at least have an opinion. I've killed too many of these fishes over the years, needlessly basking in my own ignorance, my stubbornness, and my denial. And I'm merely telling you how I see it. You may have an entirely different viewpoint, a capability, a situation, experience, whatever. Like so many things in the hobby, it boils down to what we feel is appropriate and acceptable to us and what's in the best interest of the animals that we keep. Something to think about. Stay thoughtful. Stay observant. Stay honest. Stay curious. Stay cautious. Stay compassionate. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of the tent.